0: Without further ado, I'm really delighted to invite Hayden Washington and Jane O'Sullivan to come up and join us. And we called this session Good News About the Tough Stuff, Good News About the Things That Are Difficult. And I'm looking forward to, I think, 15-minute talk from each? 15-minute talk for each and then some lovely time for conversations and then we'll be breaking for lunch. Um, Hayden Washington um, is... Um, a wonderful human being. He's been a key supporter of Nina and he's also um, one of the founders and uh, supporters of the Centre for Advancement of a Steady State Economy in New South Wales and connected to um, university work as well. And I'll just hand over to Hayden to. This right. The green button goes forward. Yep. Yes. And, and yeah, that's right. And, and the lovely and gentleman there's us. your timekeeper. Great. Right. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hayden. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, now, can I just start by asking uh, uh, who here feels that on a finite planet we can keep physically, physically growing forever? Okay. Well, one, just one. Okay. Two. Okay. So the guys with the uh, uh, the restraining jackets will be uh, uh, come, are up the back, so they'll be coming through. Um, Shortly, most, I ask that with most talks I give and uh, very few if anybody puts their hands up. And it's interesting, if people actually know that, and when I talk to school groups, they also know that, then it sort of uh, shows why we need to be here uh, today. So this talk's based on there's a few books that I've written over the last few years that this is drawn from. So the magic pudding, Norman Lindsay wrote it in 1918 about a pudding that could never be consumed, could never be eaten, it always grew back again. So it was a great children's uh, story, but it's actually a terrible way to run an economy and a society if we want to live sustainably on earth. So let's take a step back. (laughs) Let's consider society's predicament. Finitude, that we do in fact, only have one planet. And as Kenneth Balding said a long time ago, that anyone who believes in indefinite growth in anything physical on a physically finite planet is either mad or an economist. Uh, So there are in fact ecological limits and they have been exceeded. It's been referred to, there's the original uh, limits to growth study uh, done in 1972, uh, pointing out that the middle of the century we hit crunch time and of course it was uh, uh, incredibly venomously attacked mainly by traditional neoclassical uh, economists who called this uh, doom and gloom, doomed saying. Um, and as has already been pointed out, the modelling, uh, as Ian Lowe pointed out, the modelling is showing we're actually on track. The model, uh, while a fairly simple model, is actually pretty accurate to date. So. Reality or delusion, which is actually a critical issue of our times in terms of what we mean by sustainability, do we believe human population can keep growing forever? Jane's going to be talking about that in a minute. Do we believe that our use of resources can keep growing forever? Do we believe we can keep destroying ecosystems for human needs forever? Well, if we don't believe that, then how come neoclassical economics uh, does believe that because it is based on the... Idea that we can physically grow endlessly forever. If we do believe this, as neoclassical economics does, then are we in fact as a society living a delusion? You, uh, very quickly, I'm not going to read through all this. 20th century, population up fourfold, industrial pollution 40fold, uh, fish catches 35, etc., mining of ores 27fold, one quarter of coral reefs destroyed and 20% degraded, etc., etc., half of wetlands gone. Uh, science of crisis. So, ecological footprints. 1.6 planets. Living planet index has gone down 58% since 1970. Species extinction uh, has been talked about, but in fact, uh, two of the great biodiversity experts in the world actually put it worse than one-third of the species being at risk this century. Uh, E.O. Wilson puts it at half, and Peter Raven puts it as two-thirds. Um, and planetary boundaries. Uh, so, as Wichman and Rockstrom pointed out, we're bankrupting nature and consuming the past, present and future of our biosphere. So I just like, you know, this is the bad news before I get onto the good news. Uh, Because I believe society as a whole tends to believe in seven stupid things. One is, if you like, anthropocentrism, that it's just about us. Uh, The other one is that although we live on a finite planet, endless growth is in fact praiseworthy. Uh, Population, more and more people is in fact deemed to be better. Uh, when we reached 7 billion, the Sydney Morning Herald uh, published the front page saying and reasons for joy. Uh, endless growth and consumption is, uh, in fact, Julian Simon, famous economist, said that uh, resource limits are just in our minds. Uh, the invisible hand uh, is a god. Technology can solve everything and greed is good. So seven stupid things. So the room is actually packed full of elephants. Here's at least four of them. Uh, cons- uh, consumption, population, the growth economy, climate change. Now I'm an environmental scientist and a lot of us spend time uh, arguing in academia which of these elephants is more scary, more of a, big, of a problem. Uh, my point is that any elephant sits down on you, you've got real problems. All of these elephants are uh, dangerous. All of them are causing major problems. All of them have to be seen. But the problem is the elephant in the room is The biggest taboo in our society, of course, is to talk about the growth economy. Um, So a lot of people can't see it, which is why an event like this where we are seeing it is such a positive step forward. So we've got got to actually break denial, something I've written about a lot over the last few years. Denial is fascinating. Uh, And um, as Herman Daly pointed out, economic growth is still seen to be the cure for poverty, unemployment debt, repayment, inflation, balance of payments, deficits, population explosion, crime, divorce, and drug addiction. So essentially everything will be fixed by uh, growing further. The problem is being called growth mania. Uh, And many of you will know Edward Abbey's quote that growth is, for growth's sake, is the ideology of the cancer cell. Um, So world leaders still see growth uh, above all else. So, but it's, uh, it's based on false, an ideology based on false premises and that economic theory that is the key problem introduced in neoclassical economics. So in fact, the verb to grow has become twisted as Herman Daly points out. Uh, the original idea of growth, like I have fact, in fact stopped growing, I hope, uh, and most of you have, that yeah, we don't grow forever, we reach sufficiency or a steady state. So um, quickly, I'm going to go through some of the eight, at least eight assumptions underlying traditional neoclassical economics. So it's very anthropocentric. Nature's just seen as a resource. uh, It has no value other than that. Uh, The idea of the invisible hand, that uh, we can just leave everything to the invisible hand of neoclassical economics. Uh, We've talked about the problem with GDP, which in fact went up 25-fold over the last century. Amazing. Uh, Refusal to accept any ecological or biophysical limits, because when when classical economics was developed, of course, those limits had not been passed. Now they have a circular theory of production, where production uh, creates uh, consumption and uh, which creates more production, which in fact is not what happens in the real world. Uh, the fact the second law of thermodynamics or uh, was pointed out to me by ecological economist Joshua Fowler the other day, probably the first law too, uh, laws of thermodynamics are being ignored in terms of how we operate our economy, the idea that uh, all the damage that's being caused that we talked about is just an externality and the idea that we can substitute all forms of capital so therefore we can substitute money for the ecosystems that actually uh, support our societies on Earth. Now, all of those assumptions are, in fact, many people would argue that they're some of them are, that. Well, certainly they're unsustainable. Uh, many of them are impossible, and you could even say suggest that they are insane. But there's still the underlying assumptions of the neoclassical growth synthesis that's operating today. And of course, as Herman Daly points out, we're in something of a death spiral where we've got the environmental damage, but, of course, neoclassical economists tell us that growth is the cure. So we grow some more. The environmental damage gets worse. We're told we have to grow some more, and we're locked into this death spiral, which is leading us to half to two-thirds of life being possibly being extent, extinct by the end of this century, unless, of course, we act on mass, which is, again, why it's positive to be here. So the idea... Um, You know, we need to understand that that physical growth that we are continuing on uh, is locking us into, uh, it's a dead end. Uh, And, you know, it's actually also got into a lot of uh, government policy and international policy, the World Conservation Strategy, Our Common Future, the Brundtland Report that came out in 1987 was looking at a 5% growth rate to get us to sustainability. But I mean, again, if we don't actually understand that that endless physical growth is the cause of our problems, not the cure, we're not going to turn things around. Now, I'm not gonna go through all that. This is, uh, I wanna talk about some of the good news, uh, that there are solutions ahead. This is actually a concept map uh, from this book that Cassie New South Wales just worked on called Positive Steps to a Steady State Economy which is looking at all those various aspects because uh, uh, hardly anyone put their hands up saying we could keep going forever, but when I ask audiences, okay, so what do we do to change it? People don't know, so we're actually trying to look at the positive, the positive steps um, of what, what we can do. Um, so denial's a big problem. Again, not, not the river in Africa, but The fact that it's not that there aren't solutions, but that we tend to deny as a society we have a problem. And in fact, we've been called as a species homo denialensis rather than homo sapiens. Um, But while there is a trend to denial in society, there's also a balancing trend to reveal the denial. So what's the first step? Well, let's talk about the reality of our predicament and the reality that endless physical growth on a finite planet Clearly, well, if you talk, you talk to school groups, you ask them about that, they'll go, duh. No, it's not going to work. Uh, now, some people say, well, look, you know, talking about it's just airy-fairy, but in fact, that's dialogue. That's the way of counsel of traditional societies that we have to sit down and talk about it. However long it takes, we've got to work it through, which, again, why this is a really positive meeting, that that denial is being challenged by dialogue and the fact that we are talking about positive solutions to move forward. Uh, so what should economic sustainability mean? Well, it's been pointed out by a lot of uh, speakers today that it's, the economy has got to be a servant of society, not its master. Um, and it can't be based on a denial of reality, physical laws or ecological limits. Uh, it can't be based on endless physical growth. So it's got to bring both population and artefacts to ecologically sustainable levels. Uh, and it's been already been pointed out again, it's got to be based on uh, sustainable well-being. But I would say not just of humanity, but also of the other 30 to 100 million species that share... This world with, and of course Peter Victor's also been mentioned, mentioned earlier in terms of uh, his low-growth modelling, showing that you know when you start to model it, there are actually ways where you can move to a no-growth society without uh, going into the, the Great Depression again. So, ecological economics acknowledges the ecological limits of the planet. Um, now, steady state economy is uh, something that uh, has been developed for a long time, since the 1970s, with Herman Daly, based on the right, work of uh, his mentor, uh, Nicholas Georgescu-Regan. Uh, now, we would argue, and Cassie, obviously, we're the group promoting it, that it's actually the most comprehensive answer to the neoclassical growth economy. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of work on degrowth. Uh, around. The, it's been at five international conferences. And uh, again, degrowth has a lot of... Uh, I'll be talking about the difference between various models of ecological economics tomorrow in a session. But yeah, degrowth is uh, pretty closely aligned with uh, uh, steady state economy. So what is it, the steady state economy? Well, it's based on the idea that you can't keep growing population forever, so it's an ecologically sustainable population. It's a constant low level of throughput and materials and energy, so we can't keep increasing them forever. We can, of course, change over from burning coal to renewable energy as, and grow that as a positive thing. And, of course, the question of equity and distribution has been raised. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people who've developed that theme uh, since then. But of course, what is not kept constant in a steady state economy, what can grow is our culture, our knowledge, our goodness and our ethics. And again, I'll be speaking at one of the a session of ethics uh, later in the conference because I personally believe we're not going to turn things around unless we actually do talk about the ethics of what is happening. Uh, now, just some immediate and easy steps. Uh, I'm not gonna try and go through all of them. Uh, for, of course, I mean, everybody agrees we've got to go to a low carbon, low material use economy. Every, well, every, sorry, everyone I say everybody, every ecological economics model agrees that. Uh, obviously, renewable energy is a key part. We can tax shift, we can subsidy shift. We need to be able to control our resource use, which at the moment, as a culture in Australia, of course, we're still trying to flog it off as fast as we can, rather than actually uh, work out what is a sustainable use, if, you know, as if we're actually going to be living here in 1,000 or 10,000 years. Um, and um, dematerialisation of the economy, uh, and you know, uh, again, I'll be talking about decoupling tomorrow, uh, We want to reduce our use in energy. The problem is being that uh, various uh, couple of economic models, such as the green economy and the circular economy, are talking about 100 per cent decoupling, which then allows you to keep growing, which is uh, a problem I have that uh, decoupling, of course, has its limits. Uh, Again, cooperatives, again, a lot of cooperative people here I saw, which is great as a model, Uh, and banks uh, can be changed. So, as I say, this book is available for sale. I'll be out there at lunch and it'll be around the next two days. Uh, Again, we've tried to look at uh, uh, about 150 uh, positive steps you can actually take on that path towards a new economy. Uh, And that's it.